Hi, this is John Barnes, and you're listening to Cop On. Hello, 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 whoever you are, wherever you are, welcome to Cop On. This is part three of our Jurgen Klopp retrospective. We're rolling back the years. We're taking strolls and runs and sprints down memory lane. Um, I'm delighted to be joined this time by Gav from Ken7, K-E-N-N-7, which is so such an exciting thing. You've got merchandise, you've got a YouTube channel. Gav, tell our listeners all about Ken7, please. Hi, Owen. You're all right, mate. Thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, I, I mean, Ken7 is, uh, I suppose, it's, it's actually run, uh, owned by the Dalgleish family. Um, and I just, I basically work for them. So uh, it's, you know, it's, it's been interesting for me. It's kind of been my lockdown job uh, because I'm actually a singer. That's what I do. But obviously during lockdown, I didn't have any work. So um, I was fortunate enough to, to get employed by them. And it's been, it's been great. I've absolutely loved it. Um, so we, you know, we basically do the, the merchandise, but we also do the fun stuff, which is, the podcasts and the videos and they get to interview interesting people and, and come on lovely podcasts like this one, like for you, speaking to yourself. Well, it's absolutely lovely to have you here. And, you know, I imagine working with the uh, King Kenny and, and the Delgleish family as well. You've got some great characters there, it seems from the outside, but I imagine King Kenny, he's, he's a bit like Klopp in that I imagine that in real life, he's exactly the same as he is, you know, as you as you would imagine, you know, like as he's got a great sense of humour, he's very personable. Is is that right? You couldn't be more right. He's um, he's a he's a lovely guy. He's he's very sharp witted. Um, I, I mean, I've known Paul Douglas since I was very young. Since I think we met when when I, when I was about five. Um, so we've been friends for all this time. So I, I've known them for a long, long time and uh, been the butt of many a joke um, <laughs> from from Kenny and from Paul. So, oh, wow. um, yeah, no, it's absolutely fine. That's just you. That's just your role when you're with them, basically. But no, he's he's absolutely lovely. Nothing's too much trouble. He, he, he genuinely doesn't know, understand who he is if that makes any sense. I'm sure he does, but he certainly doesn't act like he's uh, this sort of legendary figure um, to all us. And it's, it's you know, it's a pleasure to to sort of speak to him. And he's he, he was, during lockdown, he was a lot easier to get hold of, believe me. Um, he was happy to do to do podcasts because he was so bored. But uh, during the summer when we came out of lockdown, the golf courses opened and um, and he became a lot more busy. Bless him. But um, now it's 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 an absolute honour to be able to to speak to him and, and chat to him. Certainly about football. We we there was one podcast where um, I um, surprised him by showing him some of his best goals um, on a on a video podcast and. He was uh, gracious enough to talk us through them, which was brilliant. There's some fabulous snippets in there of how he, you know, he basically realised that dinking the ball over the goalkeeper in the 78 European Cup final was a possibility. And he had that in his mind before he got the ball, before he, that even that run of play even happened. He was thinking, if, if I get one on one with the goalkeeper, I'll uh, I'll chip him because he'd seen something in the game, and I found found that fascinating. That he's not only playing moment to moment; everything that he sees on the pitch, he's remembering in order to benefit him and in, uh, in the rest of the game, and to use that to his to his advantage, which I I found fascinating. And there's there's, there's other bits in there about um, he used to use this. This is mad. This, but he used to use the shadow on the floor to see which way to turn. So if he was backing into a defender, he'd look over his shoulder. If the shadow was one side, he'd turn the other side, which is unbelievable, really, when you think about it. So there's low, the, the the chats that I've had with him uh, on our YouTube channel have been have been so interesting. Uh, bits from when he was a manager about transfers and stuff like that. That's all in there, and he's you know he's 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 not backwards in 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 coming forwards. You know he'll he'll tell you what what happened at the time if he's comfortable with it. So, yeah, it's been brilliant. I, I genuinely do feel very, very fortunate to be able to do this job. It's um, And obviously I'm back to 
doing my main job now, which is singing, but I'm, I'm still doing this job, which uh, I don't really want to stop. So it's been great, to be honest with you, Owen. No, it's wonderful. It's a wonderful answer. And they are fabulous videos because I have been going through your channel and uh, watching all these great interviews you've been doing. And um, uh, so, yeah, everyone, uh, you know, subscribe to that channel. The link will be in the description. And also check out the merchandise because it's it's really superb. It's brilliant quality stuff. It's not, you know, just sort of, you know, a, a cheap T-shirt with a design on it. It's proper, all good quality stuff with beautiful designs. And uh, so there you go, ken7.com check that out and uh about your singing um who are you singing for gav i've been a singer um for just under 20 years so i'm i basically um i'm in a band and i'm just a professional singer so whatever gigs come in whatever events need a band or a singer or you know that sort of thing then that's what i get booked to do so um it's uh it's just something i've been doing for for years and years and years it's just all i know and i'm very fortunate as well to be able to do that job uh, and i realize that now more after not being able to do it for 18 months um the, the whole pandemic thing's given me a, a, a certain um appreciation for how lucky i am to be able to sing and to be able to work doing something that i love so um yeah and it's been really busy since we've come back because everyone's kind of just sort of jumped at it and, and booked as many events as they can so it's been fantastic wonderful wonderful stuff um yeah i mean i don't know as uh, yeah i can talk about music forever but uh uh you know let's get into the let's get into the episode i mean i play music as well it's all good fun um ah. but uh, liam's joining us as well yeah i mean i play the bass and i've i sang before ah. And, uh, uh, you know, um, you who's know, your just... idol? Who's your bass idol? Do you know, Paul McCartney takes some beating as, okay. you know, if you listen to, for example, Abbey Road, a great album, classic album or Revolver. Um, you know, I was listening to the song um, Hey Bulldog because uh, Tony Hawks was talking about it, the skateboarder. And I was just listening to the bass. It's so damn groovy. It's mm -hmm. unbelievable. But anyway, Liam's here. Liam, how's it going? Are you well? I'm very well. Thanks for having me once again, Owen. It's an absolute pleasure. Let's let's dive into this episode. We've got about 30 minutes to 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 jump into a Jurgen Klopp retrospective. Um uh we're going to start at the beginning of the 17-18 season because we left our part two at the end of the season before. So at the end of the 16-17 season and in the summer before 17-18, we signed uh, the following players. We signed uh, Dominic Solanke, mm. Andrew Robertson, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain and Mohamed Salah. And I want you to cast your mind back and you can choose one of those to talk about, Liam, or you can talk about all of them if you want. Uh, but, uh, you know, what sticks in your mind about those four summer arrivals in summer 2017? I think uh, the main one is the uh, the 100 club, uh, Mohamed Salah, really. is the only one you can really talk about from that list. Obviously, Robertson was a great signing as well. We made a massive profit on Solanke, but just in general, Salah has transform the way we think about football in terms of the Premier League. You know, he's obviously, in my opinion, he's the top five, he's in the top five forwards of all time to ever play in the Premier League. Obviously, at the moment, he's probably the best player in the world. That 17-18 season just put him on the map, really, in terms of one of the world's best, in terms of scoring goals. And ever since, he's not stopped. So, I think Mohamed Salah's the one there that really, if we're talking about Klopp's tenure at Liverpool, he sailed us on the way where we are now. So it's got to be Mohamed Salah from those ones, but just an incredible football, literally one of the best I've ever seen. And But do you remember how you felt when we signed him? I mean, I remember his first interview was brilliant. And I remember, you know, looking at highlights from Roma, thinking, yeah, we've got another really fast guy, you know, for the wing, uh, for the other wing, you know, to to. to to work in tandem with Sadio Mane. I was really excited, but were you as excited at the time, Liam? I'd say I was excited to an extent that we'd 
got a new forward. I think we needed something different in the forward line, in particular after the 16-17 season. We were scoring goals, but we all knew that Coutinho's departure was inevitable at some point. We needed someone up there that could add something a bit different. I was expecting him to be similar to Mane in terms of his style of play. I think there is similarities there, but in terms of what he's added to us, I wasn't expecting this at all. I was excited. At Chelsea, I remember we were linked with signing him. Kind of glad we didn't sign him at that period in time. I think it was 12, 13, 13, 14 season, around that period. I don't think we'd have got this same sort of player that we're, we're receiving now. When we signed him at the time, I would have said I was apprehensive to get too excited because at now the money we spent from him looks like absolutely nothing. But at the time, it was a big fee considering where we were in that pre-mark, that near-mark time where the market was just about to take off. So it was a fair fee at the time, but he's paid himself back in tenfold, really. So I was extremely excited to see him play, but I was a little bit apprehensive about not seeing him too much at Roma and a bit of an eerie transfer fee at the time. Excellent answer. And what about you, Gav? I mean... You know, there there were some people when he came in, Salah, they, they thought, you know, maybe he was going to be a backup player because at the time we still had Sturridge who didn't leave until January of that season on, on loan to West Brom. Um, so how did you feel, Gav? Well, I mean, that, that's the interesting thing about it. I mean, at that point as well, Coutinho was mainly playing in the forward line. Um, he played on the left and Sadio Mane had played on the right. So we really didn't have any inkling that Mohamed Salah was going to come in and play on the right and Sadio was going to move on the left. Of course, he'd been super successful for us that season, Sadio Mane on the right. Um, so in terms of how I felt at the time, I was I was happy that we were getting another player in. I was happy that he was quick. I was happy that he had some numbers Um at the time, I think he scored in the tens and he assisted quite a few as well. So that looked promising. I don't think anyone can say that they knew what was coming at all um, from Mohamed Salah and he, he, the way he's developed. And you know, you can just see from the way he looks after himself that he, he he's training himself to be the best player in the world. Um, but, but the other one that I wanted to speak to on speak to you about on that list is Andrew Robertson because there was. There was a hell of a lot of fume at the time. We were after Ben Chilwell. He'd been uh, recommended to us by the then Huddersfield manager. Was it Huddersfield? He'd been on loan to Huddersfield. And um, obviously the manager, I can't remember, can't remember his name now, but he was, he was Klopp's best mate. And he raved about him and we'd gone after him and we couldn't, we just couldn't get him at all. Uh, I think he was... He he was was he at Leicester at the time, but he wasn't playing. Yes, and we tried right. to poach him off Leicester, and they wanted some ridiculous fee like thirty million quid, which obviously, looking back now, is is borne out. He's become a top player. He's England left back. He plays for Chelsea, um, so we that was our top target at left back. So for us to then have that and then go to Andy Robertson from Hull for 8 million quid and we actually sent um, Stuart there uh, for 8 million quid so the deal actually didn't cost us anything it was fairly underwhelming for the majority of Liverpool fans as I remember it and you know there was no way I thought that he was going to end up being who he ended up being it was it was fairly incredible I do remember his first couple of performances were quite promising and there were signs there that he could be something that we we desperately needed we've had left back after left back and not and not really since john arnariza and john arnariza only had about two three seasons where he was great have we managed to solve that left back problem and obviously we'll get into it obviously but he, he doesn't play for a, a while and they let him have a look at it and then he comes into success moreno started the season so the andy robertson one's very interesting because we now all look back at that as as this transfer masterstroke uh, a real uh, triumph for the the transfer committee team there. Um, so that was interesting. The, the Solanke one, I think he was he was fairly he was heralded at the time as a great bit of business. We got him on a tribunal. He was England's under twenty one striker. He'd scored a lot of goals in Chelsea's 
youth teams. And it looked like a good bit of business, tall, athletic, fairly quick, good feet. And he, he had an eye for a goal in the youth teams and hasn't borne out like that. I was shocked when I looked at the stats at how many games he actually played. He made five starts, but he actually came on 21 or 22 times, which you just don't remember. And then um, maybe you want to speak to Liam about the uh, about Oxlade-Chamberlain, because um, I've witted on enough, I think. Oh, no, no, no. It's it's great to hear, hear your views. Yeah, I mean, Chamberlain, I'm not going to spend too long on the transfers in general, just because we, we don't really have time to, to, to go into them too much. But I will, you know, because I want to linger a little bit on Robertson, because I've got uh, Liverpool FC's official um, account from the July from July the 21st, 2017, when they've officially announced him on Twitter. And of course, you can see the replies. And hats off to Benjamin Cottrell, who simply says, welcome to Liverpool. So well done. He's sitting on the fence. But you get some replies to this tweet saying, you know, for example, Ahmed LFC, who says, imagine signing a player from a relegated club with a vomiting emoji. You get uh, Brimo, who's LOL, and uh, Brendan um, R-A-W- Rawcliffe 96 who says ha 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 relegated players I think he supports another team um, and uh, Joab just simply says L and there are tons of these uh, replies of like who the hell is Andy Robertson this is an awful idea and now they could all eat their words because he's a genius um, Chamberlain of course it was very cruel what happened to him with injury and I don't want to I don't know I'd rather you know the last thing before I want, I'd rather move on. We'll get into the games in a minute, but uh, uh, another masterstroke I think was dip, the in the departures list of that season is Mamadou Sakho to Crystal Palace for twenty eight million euros. Um, a great bit of business. So if you think about it, you know we received eighteen, we received nineteen million. And got and and Andy Robertson. Uh, if you want to look at it that way, you can. Marvelous stuff. I will ask uh, Liam about the first game of the season because it's quite a memorable one. It's Watford three, Liverpool three. Hopefully not a poor tent for this weekend's action. Uh, but uh, it was uh, Okaka who opened the scoring for Watford, and then Sadio Mane assisted by Emre Chan equalised. So that was one one. But then. Three minutes later, in the 32nd minute, Abdoulaye Ducouré scored. So it was 2-1 Watford. They were going crazy. 2-1 at halftime. And then we came out in into... Uh, sorry, came out in the second half. And in the 55th minute, Bobby Firmino scored. And I believe it was a penalty. And then two minutes later... Mo Salah got his first after Firmino tried that chip. It was going wide. Salah tapped it in. But then, I don't know if you remember this, Britos scored 90 plus three to equalise. Liam, do you, do you remember this match? And do you remember feeling like I did? Like, oh no, here we go again in terms of being brilliant going forward and being, you know, as brittle as that, you know, sort of, you know, um, what do they call it? Like a, a, as as brittle as an almond thin at the back. Uh, Liam, what, do you remember this game? I do remember it. Yeah, it, it just reminded me of. It just takes me back to that sort of period where we the the mindset was we'll outscore you in terms of winning football matches, which we all know isn't a sustainable way to win football matches. I remember Salah's performance. In particular, he was probably the most impressive in that terms of making your debut and fitting right into the side. Sorry, I'm losing my voice. <clears throat> really, I think we weren't expecting to um, see this sort of performance from Watford, if I remember correctly. They'd just come up this season or the season before, so new to the Premier League after a hiatus in the second division, obviously, with with our front three, obviously, all on the score sheet there. It was a new front three. This was the first time we'd really got to see them together. I guess, you know, hundreds of goals down the line. This probably wasn't the vintage performance from our Liverpool team. But as you can see, that uh, at, at the back with Matip and Lovren, it wasn't a, specifically a, a great partnership. When we were discussing transfers earlier, obviously one man came in and changed everything at the back. I think this basically typified that, that we were 
going to try outscore all our opponents. And in reality, that wasn't possible until certain Virgil van Dijk came in. But it was a typical club game, the heavy metal football that everyone spoke about from Dortmund, leaving everything to the attack. The best form of attack is defence. Luckily, we didn't get beat because there was times where we were giving um, an array of chances away, especially remembering the first half particularly. I was sat on the edge of my sofa like, God, this is going to be another long season. But in the end, things turned around. But um, not a memorable game from a, a positive performance aspect, but in terms of seeing the front three all getting on the score sheet for the first time, it's probably the start of an era in that sense. Yeah, it's a lovely answer. It was the first time that the front three... Uh, had started together. Uh, uh, the lineups on on our screen, but of course you you won't be able to see it, listeners. So just to just to go through it, uh, we had Simon Minnie in goal, and we had uh, Trent at right back. Now this, was, I believe, Nathaniel Klein had picked up an injury, and this is basically Trent's first season uh, coming through, and 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 he got a yellow card. So uh, well done, <laughs> uh, Trent, uh, Joel Matip, Lovren, and Alberto Moreno, who was still there because remember Andy Robertson didn't start for ages, and he, uh, Klopp persisted with Moreno. Uh, and then in midfield we had Genie Vijnaldum, Henderson, and Emery Chan, and then the front three. Um, Gav, in terms of sticking with players, I mean this is a Jurgen Klopp tribute, right? So we need to think about it from the manager's point of view. And there's something that has been both a positive and a negative, as in it's been a stick to to beat him with, as well as some kind of, um, I don't know, totem of, of, of his excellence as a man-manager. But I'm wondering if, in the case of Alberto Moreno and Simon Mignolet, whether you think that it, it's really good, and even Dejan Lovren, after all of his mistakes, so we've got three error-prone error players there. Um, Klopp was extremely patient with all of them. Did they stick around longer than you thought, uh, you know, even at the time or in retrospect? Like, you know, maybe should he have got rid of them earlier or is it a good man-management thing to to keep giving them more chances? You can only get rid of them when you've got a replacement who's better than them. Um, so, uh, I, I mean, if, if I remember rightly, Moreno had a, a some sort of resurgence that season. He, he only lost his place, not because his form was poor. He lost his place because he got injured. Um, but he actually played, if I remember rightly, very well in that first period um, before the injury, so I mean, he, he he never he never felt like the answer to me. He started off like a a, a train when he first came in. He scored that goal against Tottenham, but um, he uh, he was always a bit erratic, wasn't he? And he always, he always gave me the impression that he didn't have a football brain at all. He'd do things at the wrong time in a game. Um, so I particularly remember him ballooning one over the bar when we were looking for an equaliser once, and he just thought, "What are you you know really." <laughs> where, where, where's that come from? Nice. Um, in terms of, I'm I'm probably in the minority, but in terms of Lovren, I didn't think that Lovren was as big a problem as everyone else. Um, I could see him for what he actually gave the team. Um, I think part of the problem that we had was that that he had was he it wasn't the type of defender that we need. Um, he's not good at defending the big spaces. He's not particularly quick. He's very front foot. Um, and he's quite rash. But that can actually be an asset if you've got someone covering you. But I, I think the way um, Jürgen Klopp wants us to defend, he, he needs two quick defenders <clears throat> who are good in the air, who, who can defend big spaces and can play a high line. And I don't think it's particularly Lovren's fault that, that that's that's not what he's built for. Um, so, I mean, I, I think there's, there's many standout performances that Lovren gave us and he was fantastic, but he never seemed to get the credit that he deserved, I think, at the time because of certain things. And don't get me wrong, he, he made errors at times, but there's times when Van Dijk makes errors and he doesn't get picked up for it. So I, I'm I'm not of the opinion that he stuck around too long. I think we got out of him what we needed to and he moved on at exactly the right time. Simon Millier is, is an interesting one. Um, he starts this season, but then gets left out halfway through the season and Carrius comes in because, um, you know, obviously Carrius is there and there's obviously made, been a decision made in pre-season that Mignolet is to be given the chance and he was and he never uses it. I was of the opinion that Mignolet 
should have gone earlier. Um, but again, you know, it's easy for us to sit here. We don't have to look the players in the face and we don't know their families and we don't know their personal situations. So for us, it's a very cold decision to say, yeah, get rid of him. Doesn't matter now. You know, he's 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 no good and, and, and let's let's just cut our losses. But Klopp and the other coaches know the person, they know the family, and it's very difficult to um to just be that cold sometimes when you when you have a, a personal relationship with someone. So uh, is is Klopp too loyal? I think it's one of the things that makes him amazing, to be honest with you. I really do. And he, he's always about developing players. So he will always think that he can make a player better rather than get rid of him. And, and to be honest with you, one of our great strengths, I think, has been continuity. And Klopp is always trying to garner continuity. He wants players to stick together for as long as possible because that's when he knows he can get the best out of them. So uh, in answer to your question, uh, no, I don't think that they stuck around too long. I think when he's got rid of them, he's got rid of them at the right time. He certainly didn't have an option to replace Mignolet with Alisson at the time. And we all know now that Alisson was the quality we were looking for. And maybe that wasn't an option at the time. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean... There's there's only so much we we can ever know as fans, isn't there? In terms of how people look in training, you know, perhaps Carius wasn't ripping it up, or Andy Robertson find it found it hard to to adapt, and 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 Lovren was looking more impressive than uh, than uh, Ragnar Klavan, who we we had signed, of course. But um, I just think uh, Klopp's brilliant at the, the way that he keeps giving people chances, and and it's a great answer because yes, it's, people do forget about the families and the. Um, you know, personal side, uh, you know, all these players, they're not cardboard cutouts. They're not computer uh, game characters. They're real people. So I think that's a brilliant, brilliant answer. Um, Liam, um, following on from Watford, uh, we had a huge game and it was a Champions League qualifier. Uh, to get back into the Champions League, we had to overcome Hoffenheim, which we did away from home, 2-1 and uh, at home, we beat them 4-2. But the 2-1 game came just after Watford. So Klein's injured. He's got some kind of long-term injury. We're playing this kid who we've seen once or twice before at right back. And it's his second game. It's his Champions League debut. Of course it is. It's most of the team's Champions League debut. Um, but uh, Trent scores a free kick. He scores the opening goal in that game. And I want you to talk. I'm going to give you another you know, you've had, you had the pleasure of talking about Mo Salah um, at, the, at the beginning of this uh, this chat. And I, I'm going to give you the pleasure of talking about Trent and specifically Klopp and how Klopp has used and developed Trent. Um, and so, you know, I, just, you know, in that game, we won 2-1 in 35th minute. It was a, a free kick goal. And I don't know. Talk to me about Trent, uh, Liam. I think... Trent's probably my favourite Liverpool player, so thanks for giving me the opportunity to speak about him. I remember the game specifically, everyone was talking about Hoffenheim being, you know, a real challenge, which they were considering Nagelsmann was talked about as a future Liverpool coach, one of the next era of coaches. You know, he was managing Hoffenheim, uh, first division club at 33 and getting him into a Champions League qualifier, which is incredible. But in terms of Trent Alexander-Arnold, as you say, Klein had been injured. We know he had a terrible injury record and Arnold had been given the opportunity. Originally a right midfielder as well in the youth academy. Comes through, steps up 40 yards out, a low-driven free kick. Just It just started to get the hype up, obviously. We'd seen him in the cup. I remember him playing against Middlesbrough in the cup before that. But just in general, of seeing him coming through, this was his... I guess that staple moment where we knew we had a we had a talent that could take us to a next level in that position because going back through the right back, especially my time watching Liverpool, we've never had someone of a world class standard. You know, Al Balower, um, Klein in general, people like Martin Kelly playing there. These aren't of the standard that we we know we can set at Liverpool. And then when you've got someone like. Trent come through the academy and created what he's done. I think that's just testament to Klopp to give opportunities to these young players. I think a player like Trent at 18, 19, playing an opening Champions League qualifier match, probably our most important game since the 13-14 season, really, in terms of 
you know, qualifying for the Champions League after a long hiatus. We'd only spent, I think, two of the last eight years in the Champions League or something stupid like that. So to be able to get into that stage with a young lad from Liverpool basically being the responsibility in that opening match anyway to get one foot in the um, in the group stages was just incredible. And then Trent's gone on for breaking records, the highest assisting Premier League season from a defender, you know, creating the most chances in the Premier League besides Kevin De Bruyne, who again is off this planet in terms of being able to create chances, which shows that Trent, again, is off this planet. And the fact he's doing it all from right back, again, is just incredible. So what Klopp's done with him, changing him from this young, naive right-sided midfielder to turn him into the world's best right-back has just been incredible. Free kicks, crossing, passing. Defensively, he's really strong as well. Just a, a complete monster, I guess. And the fact he's playing at right-back in for Liverpool couldn't make me happier. Beautiful answer. Um, there, there have only been two other players that I've seen in my life for any club who've dominated the right side of the pitch. And it's they are Cafu and Danny Elvis. And honestly, Trent, you know, obviously he hasn't, he hasn't achieved as much as they have yet. But in terms of dominating matches from that position, he's, you know, he's up there with them, in, in my opinion. He's got a lot to prove in order to be truly, you know, mentioned on the, exactly the same level as them. But he's just, the way he dominates is, is it's, it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful to watch. Um, we followed up the Hoffenheim game um, with uh, the first Hoffenheim game with, with our first win of the season in the second game, a 1-0 home win against Crystal Palace. And then we had the return match against Hoffenheim. And um, I want to ask you, Gav, about this situation. So we're 2-1 up. Nothing is sorted. Um, you know, th they had a striker. I don't know if you remember. It's spelt U-T-H, Uth, or something like that. Um, uh, and I don't know how to pronounce it. Ut, maybe. And he played for Hoffenheim, and he was causing us all manner of, of problems. So we know that they had this danger, man. you got Anfield under the lights, Huge pressure to get back into the Champions League, do or die situation. And um, I want to ask you, Gav, because in these pressure situations, time and time again, Liverpool under Jurgen Klopp have sprinted out of the blocks and destroyed teams. And in this rematch, it was the 23rd of August, 2017, my brother's birthday. Happy birthday, Simon. Um we we were three 0 up in twenty one minutes. Emre Chan had scored uh, two goals, including one that had Klopp absolutely bellowing, "That's football! That's football!" And you really had the the impression that this is Klopp's football. This this sort of mad crushing of teams. And I I just wonder on your thoughts Gav on, on how does he do it like this this because they know it's coming the opposition but surely they can just park the bus and but it never seems to work Liverpool crush teams in key moments time and time again how does he do it Gav? Well I think um, if I remember rightly um, Nagelsmann was the manager of Hoffenheim at the time he was this young up-and-coming manager um, who's obviously gone on to great, greater things now. Um, and there was a whole thing made about he was junior Klopp or he was, you know, the, the successor to Klopp. And um, he was, I, I felt he was, I seem to remember he was, if I'm not, if I'm wrong about that, then I apologise. But there, there was certainly something about the manager in this game where he was saying this and that and, um, I remember after the first leg, it was difficult. And then the second leg, I was at the game at the second leg and we, we flew out the blocks. Um, and it was it was just a typical, you know, heavy metal football performance. And they just couldn't live with us. I mean, if you get all the, the facets of the way we play right, then it's very, very difficult to live with us because you can't get out. You, um, we're 
if you get the ball, we're swarming all over you. And if, you, if you're not on your game and you can't find passing lanes, which when we play well, we stop you finding passing lanes. So we're, we're all over you like a rash. And the, the teams find it very difficult to build any sort of momentum. And I think this was a classic game for that. I mean, the the Emre Chan goal um, was absolutely incredible. Uh, if I remember rightly, it started at, in the left-back position. And there was a, two or three passes that were just sublime. And then the ball came across and he taps it in. And Klopp, you know, was, was particularly vocal about how that was the perfect Liverpool goal, I think, it, as he sort of mentioned at the time. I, I, I find it interesting that we, at this time, were a different team to how we are now. And at some stage, his mentality, and we've evolved. And I think that's the interesting thing. I was listening to a podcast today where Pep Linders was talking about not not saying on the laurels, always looking forward and always looking to evolve as a team because in that way, opponents can never really assess where you're coming from. And as a result, that gives you an advantage. And I thought that was super interesting. Um, At this time, what you can say about Liverpool is that Klopp hasn't got the team that he wants yet. He's got players that he loves, but he hasn't built that team that he he now has, um, that he's methodically put together with all the little components that he wanted. I mean, if he looked at his perfect team without names, he would have you know, a big, strong centre-back who was quick. He would have a left-back and right-back who can dictate play, who can get up and down, who can actually spray passes as good as any midfielder. You know, these 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 little pieces of the jigsaw weren't all there at this point. But there were some exciting performances, um, you know, blood and thunder performances. And this was certainly one of them uh, in that second leg. And for us to go through, um, I'm sure we were all quite nervous before the two legs because Hoffenheim were a decent side at the time, if I remember. And it, it was a banana skin completely. Um, but they ended up going through 6-3 on aggregate. And you, you can't really argue with that, can you, Owen? You can't, you can't, and it's been a joy. It's been a joy to watch so much the style. You know, it's not just um, if Benitez had the same record as Jurgen Klopp, which is sixty percent win record. It's more than uh, Bob Paisley, for example. It, it's an unbelievable win percentage that Klopp has. If Benitez had the same thing, I, you know, I would be incredibly enthusiastic as well. But of course, with Benitez style football, I mean, great if you're winning sixty percent of your matches, then that's cool. But to 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 do it with the style that we have under Jurgen is is just been glorious. It's so much fun, even when we lose, Liam. It's 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 epic. Um, the 9th of September, Liverpool went away to Manchester City. Um, high-flying Manchester City. And um, we ended up losing uh, 5-0 because this is the one where Sadio Mane got a red card. (laughs) So even when we lose, we're losing in epic ways. And uh, maybe that uh, that was one particular game where you thought, oh, right, okay, maybe we're not ready to challenge for the league yet. We'd only finished fourth the season before. But... um, I don't know. After that match, it seemed to knock us a bit because we drew with Sevilla in the Champions League um, in our first group game. Then we drew with Burnley at home. We lost to Leicester 2-0. Um, we beat Leicester... Sorry, that we lost to Leicester 2-0 in the League Cup and then we beat them away in the Premier League on the 23rd of September. And then back in the Champions League, we drew 1-1 with Spartak Moscow. We drew 1-1 away at Newcastle. And then there was an international break. And after the international break, we drew nil-nil with Manchester United. A player who was missing all of this time, Liam. Um, actually, I'll, I'll go back to Gav because I know you have to you have to chip off soon, Gav. So I'm going to go back to you because uh, a player who was missing in this run was, of course, Felipe Coutinho, bad back Coutinho. Um, I don't know when he started playing 
for us again but it was maybe it was in October or something but he certainly missed the start of the season and then before he joined Barcelona in the January of 2018 that season he played um, I've got his entire record in front of me here he played 13 matches in the Premier League uh, 13 starts 14 one substitute appearance so 13 starts, one sub substitute appearance, 1,109 minutes. He got seven goals and six assists in 13 games, basically. And in the Champions League, he played five games, um, four starts, and he got five goals and two assists. And there was something unbelievable about watching Phil Coutinho behind our front three. Um, wasn't there? And then but it just never worked out for him at Barcelona. Do you think he regrets it now, Gav, leaving? I, I would say so. Um, having said that, though, he's, he's won the league, the, uh, the Champions League with Bayern. He's won the league in Barcelona. Um, don't get me wrong, it hasn't been a happy spell for him in Barcelona. And he obviously, he had to go out on loan. But I'm sure he probably regrets it. Um Although his bank balance probably doesn't regret it, but he he was phenomenal at this point. I mean, we had that whole, you know, is he going? Is he, isn't he going? We put our foot down at some stage, and he kicked up a bit of a fuss, which doesn't really go down well, you know. Especially if, if you're working class people, seeing someone earning that sort of money and them saying, "I'm going to refuse to play," um, that isn't really what we're looking for, you know. It, Liverpool are paying his wages at the end of the day, so he should be available. And I, I seem to remember at the time he went away to Brazil and played, so his back was obviously all right. But it was it just left a really bad taste in his mouth. One thing I'll say about him though, when he came into the team, he was phenomenal. His his form was the best that we'd ever seen. He absolutely carried that team. Um, and you know you've got to be thankful for the fact that he allowed us to buy the two cornerstones of of the present team. His transfer and him kicking up a fuss and the way it all went down, 142 million, allowed us to buy Van Dyke and Allison. So we have a lot to be thankful for. We only bought him for eight million quid. So, you know, although he did leave a bad taste in his mouth, in the mouth, and he gets linked with us all the time. And you, there is a certain part of you, I don't know how you feel, Owen or Liam, but there's always a certain part of you who thinks, you know, if we got him back, do you think he could be as good as he was for us? Um, but yeah, absolutely phenomenal record. That twelve goals in in sort of seventeen games or whatever it was you you've just mentioned. Um, but you know that leads us on to at some stage talking about the signing of Van Dijk in January. Well, yeah, because Van Dijk, of course, the summer before we were going we were going to sign him, but. Um... You know, at the beginning of seventeen eighteen, we should have had him, but of course there was the the whole uh, whatever you call it tapping up or whatever that uh, Liverpool publicly apologised for, and then you know Southampton said, right, he's not leaving, um, and you know there was a chance with lots of rumours that he would end up at Manchester City, but he didn't. He stayed loyal and ended up joining us in January. Um, but yeah, it's it's. Oh, can I? Yes. Can I just chip mm -hmm. in. I. I don't think I've ever felt as bad as I did that day that Liverpool released a statement, uh, football-related, when Liverpool uh -huh. released a statement that Van Dijk would not, we would not be pursuing Van Dijk any further. I mean, it would, it was, we'd, I, we'd almost celebrated a couple of days before because it had gone out in every newspaper that Liverpool, he had chosen Liverpool, and we were all celebrating and patting each other on the back and everything, and then for that statement to be as final as it was and there didn't seem to be a climb down and we spent the rest of the summer going surely there's a climb down surely surely they can sort it surely they can smooth it over and they didn't and then when we started the season without a centre-back um, it was double trouble wasn't it because you thought well we really need someone and we couldn't get that guy why didn't we go and sign someone else but the club know better Klopp knows better and the transfer team know better and look, look at the way it turned out yeah, no, that's that's great. I mean, I, I wasn't as gutted as you because I, I didn't know how good he was at the time. I mean, I, I, I was just, you know, I'd seen him play a little bit for Southampton and they did very well. I think they got to a cup final with him in the team and stuff. But it just, I don't know. Um, 
I, I just thought, well, okay, when he's probably a good defender, but uh, I wasn't as gutted as you were because I, I was, I didn't know, and now I know. Of course, I know. He's 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 an absolute beauty of a player. He's like a colossus. He's a statue. I went to the Louvre here in Paris last week, and I didn't see any marble statue as magnificent as Big Virgil. Um, Liam, the the uh, uh, yeah, the the whole Coutinho thing. Um, tactically right i mean gav mentioned the idea of, of of maybe bringing him back and you know because the link up with mo salah especially was unbelievable um so he had uh, eight assists in the premier in the premier league sorry six assists in 13 games in the premier league and in the champions league he had two assists in four games and there was something like Salah's always peeling away. He's always making that run between the fullback and the centre-back. Fabinho sees it now and he plays the chip over the top, but Coutinho saw it every time and he was able to play sort of diagonal curling passes from, from nearer than Fabinho gets to play them. And I just wonder if, you know, bringing Coutinho back is 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 something that you've considered just to to play that pass as much as anything. But to, you know, the link up with the front three with someone of Phil Coutinho's quality behind is unbelievable. Or do you think that actually by having you know Vinaldum, Milner, Henderson, Fabinho behind to have a more sturdy midfield? With our attacking fullbacks, it actually makes more sense to have a sturdy midfield without the creative player. What do you think, Liam? I think in that midfield dimension in general, Coutinho brought a bit of an imbalance, particularly from a defensive side. I don't think the the typical midfield that we saw at the time of Henderson, Milner and Wijnaldum particularly helped us either. I think that was a bit too negative. I think there needs to be a balance in there somewhere that can do both things. You know, they can they can play that pass in behind and find a Salah or a Mane or allow Firmino to drop in deeper and pick up that position, but also has the ability to make a vital interception, win the ball back in midfield, drop deeper when we need them to. Obviously, those midfielders are difficult to come by. But in terms of Coutinho, I think he he left us a little bit open defensively because obviously, if you remember, the front three was Firmino in the middle, Coutinho on the left, and uh, Mane on the right, so he was primarily playing as a forward in uh, in a couple of seasons beforehand. So in that instance, he was really a forward playing in midfield at that time, and it brought us joy really in terms of the chances we created, the goals he could score. Obviously, he had an excellent um, left foot and right foot on him. He was two footed in terms of both instances. So those sorts of players, you want those in your team, but I think letting him go was the right decision and I wouldn't bring him back in terms of he's obviously not going to be able to produce that same level now looking, you know, four years down the line, five years down the line even. But in terms of having that sort of midfielder, it would be great to have one of those, but you need someone that's going to have the defensive capabilities, which I think Coutinho lacked. And I think when we brought players like Fabinho, as you said, that can see the play from deeper and play those passes like like Thiago, like Cater when he's at his best, those sorts of midfielders who are a bit more reserved but can come up with those moments of brilliance and much more suitable for the, I guess, attacking qualities of our front three and obviously Trent and Robertson bombing up and down the left and right side. I think having a bit more of a conservative midfield who are more well-rounded than a out-and-out number 10 is definitely the best option. Yeah, brilliant answer. Really, really good answer. Um, I'm inclined to agree, but I, I don't know. If he was happy on the bench, you know, and he was cheap and he took a and he took a, a wage cut, then I would I would bring him back. Because there were certain games and there were certain moments in games when I would I, I think he would be he would be devastating still. But anyway, anyway, anyway. Um we got as far as the Manchester United match. That was on the 14th of October after an international break. And so before that, you know, so we we had beaten Arsenal at the end of August, 4-0. I mean, we were looking really, really good. Then we lost that game to Man City 5-0. And we only had one win in, in 
eight matches in all in all competitions. Then we came back, we drew nil-nil with Manchester United. Then we beat Maribor 7-0 in the Champions League. Then we came back, full of confidence again, looking good. We went to Tottenham. We lost 4-1, an awful game. And I remember texting my brother after the match, uh, Gav, uh, Gav, and I was saying... I've had it with Mignolet and I've had it with Lovren. It's not that they're bad people, of course. It's not that they're bad players as such. It's just I didn't think they were Liverpool level and they they had exhausted all of the credit um, in, in, in the bank, in my bank of generosity. Uh, but after that, um, apparently there was some kind of meeting, wasn't there? And our form... It skyrocketed after that. So I don't know. What do you remember about this period? I mean, I, I, I was <clears throat> talking in support of Lovren, but I did say that he made some mistakes. And I think this was probably the absolute zenith of his mistake-making um, career at Liverpool at times. Um, he he had a bad one. I think he gets dragged off at half-time. Um, it, it was a really bad day at the office, this game. Uh, it was Everything was wrong. They were trying to play a high line and Tottenham just completely exposed it. And again, like, like I said before, if you're trying to play a certain way without the tools to do it, you, you can get found out. And I think this was the game that we did get found out. Having said that, and a lot of people remember Van Dijk coming in as the, the, the cure to all Liverpool's ills at the back. But Liverpool actually sorted themselves out. I mean, I, I, I'm astonished to realise that this game was on the 22nd of October because I seem to remember it being in December. But we have a good, uh, let's see, it's about 12 games. It's 15, they counted, game. yeah, from that game to 15, the end of the December. It's 15 the end of December, games. 15 games. And we go on a run and we, we're we actually solid at the back. You know, we, we win. There's quite a few 3-0s in there. There's a 5-0 at Swansea. Um, we, we we certainly have sorted something out tactically at the back. Um, and, the, the, you know, there is that myth that they had a team meeting after the Tottenham game. And uh, apparently the people were very honest and, um, and they, they sort it out. They always... There's always a, uh, a thing like that, isn't there, that they come out with, yeah, we had a team meeting and that sorted it out. Um, how much effect it has, I don't know. But it, it certainly, something changed. And they, they managed to go on a, a run um, that basically set them up for the rest of the season. Then Van Dijk comes in and, uh, and we look even better. So, yeah, I mean, it's that Tottenham game was a... Um, if I'm not mistaken, that Tottenham game was the start of a run that lasts into the next season. Um, I'm it not might sure. Do. I'm going to check. Yeah, it might. You, be. I check, that, but I'm sure uh-huh. that was a, the. It was like um, reaching rock bottom as an alcoholic. Um, that was that was a, a, a line in the sand where Liverpool basically went from there and and went on this massive run and. Started becoming the team that we all know and love now, actually, I think. Um, but, we, you know, getting Van Dijk in was a massive lift for everyone. Um, and to, to see him come onto the pitch, I think it was again in the derby and score, which was absolutely amazing. It was incredible. <laughs> I'll always remember I'll always remember where I was when I went on Twitter and saw that picture of him stood next to a Christmas tree. Um, that's a, <laughs> that's, a, that's a, a, a Kennedy JFK moment for me, I think. <laughs> But, um, where, where were you? Out of interest, I was I was at a gig, and I was I was I was sat waiting to set up, and I was sat in my car, and it was freezing, and uh, I just remember seeing it and trying to phone everyone that I knew would support Liverpool just to talk about the fact that he'd actually sound because it was um, yeah it was just the best bit of news at the time. But mate, listen, unfortunately, I'm gonna have to shoot, but I, I really appreciate you letting me uh, come and chat um, old school Liverpool, which is brilliant. And Liam, lovely to meet you, mate. Thank you. Uh, Thanks for letting me on, Noah. It's been an absolute pleasure, Gav. Yeah, do um, yeah, feel free to come back another time. It's been brilliant speaking to you. Will Thank do. you very much. And all the listeners, check out Ken7, K-E-N-N-7. All the best, Gav. Take care. Thank you. Thanks, mate. Cheers. All right. And Liam said, and then there were two. So, Liam, I, I'm just going to ask for your general things. I mean, we, we mentioned uh, Virg, Virgil van Dijk there. We sort of, you know, that run... And uh, uh, until um, the new year, then I mean, 
after the new year, it, we, we did lose, I think, three matches after the Tottenham game uh, until the end of April, I think. I will check that, but it's it, we didn't lose many. Um, so, you know, some of the standout results that... Um, that uh, Gav was mentioning there were, were you know, 3-0 Huddersfield, 3-0 Maribor. I'll just go through them all. 4-1 West Ham. These are all of them. 3-0 Southampton, 3-3 away to Sevilla, 1-1 with Chelsea, 3-0 against Stoke, 5-1 against Brighton, 7-0 against Spartak Moscow. So if anyone, you know, checks the Champions League assist records, then I think the 7-0 and the 3-0 and the 7-0 and 3-0 against Maribor and the 7-0 against Spartak Moscow is goes some way to explaining why James Milner is ahead of Ronaldinho, Neymar, and you name it, he's ahead of them all in the Champions League assist um uh, list. Uh, but anyway, um, Liam, how did you feel then after that Tottenham game? Because there was this this thing where Liverpool were actually, you know, the pieces were well and truly coming together. And, and as Gav mentioned, just before Virgil joined, we were brilliant. We were brilliant. We were, we were a really, really difficult team and the kind of team that no one would want to play. And 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 it was really exciting, wasn't it? What do you remember? I remember specifically that game being the turning point. I remember watching the game um, up at my dad's in the north of England and in general just being like, what on earth are we watching? This is... This is taking me back to Roy Hudson days. Obviously, we've spoke about Lovren and Mignolet. In realistic terms, being decent footballers, they've got qualities which do suit to teams in terms of Mignolet being a good shot stopper, as Gav said. Um, Lovren can be a bit rash defensively, but he's got qualities which do suit teams that have a defender covering. I just think for us, they weren't players that we needed. Just that game typified that they needed to be a change and I think the change was mentally rather than in terms of personnel obviously Van Dyke came in and that changed things completely but that was when I got the urge that we could win something that run as you mentioned up until April I think we only lost to Manchester United and Swansea in the league if I remember correctly but it just yes you're right it's it stemmed a it stemmed the side of Liverpool. I'm only 20 for listeners, so I've not seen us win the big trophies up until in the last few years. So it stemmed the side of me that I had a belief we could win something, especially in the Champions League, obviously. That run against Man City, Roma, those were the nights where I'd believed that I could see us win those sorts of trophies. But that game was really the turning point where I believed Liverpool are going to improve because we can't get any worse than this and then as you saw again Swansea was we had a terrible record against newly promoted teams anyway in terms of not being able to get results away from home I think we hit the post from Firmino in the last minute in that game I remember a head in hands moment but just in general the whole game was just the whole uh, run sorry was just something that transformed our club and where we are now looking for that a four one defeat and a, a hurricane murdering put us where we are. I'd say thank you to Hurricane. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Cheers, Hazza. Um I think our players have, have uh, you know quite a lot to do with it. But yeah, it's it's interesting. I'm gonna I'm gonna leave this episode here because I want to leave it really to focus in a little bit um, on the moment when Virgil joined and and his first match, you know, it was the FA Cup. It was the 5th of, of January 2018. It was a kickoff at, at 5 to 9pm. Uh, James Milner scored a penalty to make it 1-0 to Liverpool uh, in 35 minutes. Then Gilfie Sigurdsson equalised in 67th minute, um, assisted by Phil Jagielka. And then... Virgil rising up to make it 2-1. Um, I don't remember. I remember the photo of Virgil standing by the Christmas tree that Gav was talking about, but I don't remember where I was when I saw the photo. Because as I said, I wasn't, I didn't know enough about Virgil, about what a player he was. But that 
goal will against Everton was is something that I I can never forget. I will never forget, and it's just it it's making me smile now. It's making me smile now, and it's years later. Um, you know the arrival of this colossus, this demigod, this this humongous, wonderful footballer. It it that game. What do you? I mean, do you remember how you felt, Liam Virgil? I just remember being relieved that we'd finally got him. As Gav mentioned in general, the. The two in and fro in that summer that were we going to sign him? Then we saw that he'd chosen Liverpool. Obviously, Chelsea and Man City were probably in a better position to sign him in terms of where they were at as a club in terms of challenging for trophies at the time. But obviously, Klopp had done what he does best and persuaded him that at Liverpool, he was going to be the man at the back line. We were going to rebuild around him and that's what's happened and transpired in the years previous. But I think seeing him come and make that impact in the first game at the opposite end as well, really. And we know he can score goals from um, being a centre-back, particularly from corners, as that goal came from. Um, I expect to see him more defensively than a attacking aspect earlier on, but even still in that game, he was excellent defensively. I just think it was relief that we actually beat Everton, you know, the FA Cup. We didn't go on to do that well. I think we might have even got knocked out in the next round in that FA Cup. But even still, to be able to see... Uh, a big outlay for the club, make an instant impact, and you know the the shush to the people that are doubted us for spending seventy five million on an average Premier League centre back. You know, United fans saying, "Oh, we got Lindelof for this, or Bay for this guy." I remember, yeah. <laughs> now he's gone on to be the best centre back in world football over the last three, four years. It it really was a, a moment of relief. And I think again that game in general, even though it was an FA Cup third round tie against Everton, you know, we've played a couple of those in recent years, obviously with the Curtis Jones screamer. But it was a turning point that we we've got our man. We needed a centre back for a long time and to to have someone like that, despite such a big outlay make an instant impact was incredible. It was wonderful. It was wonderful. And and I'm going to leave this this episode here. We've got until we've made it to January 2018. Um, Coutinho's gone. Um, his back's better. He's gone off to Barcelona. Um, little does he know at this point that it's not going to work out for him as well as it's going to work out for Liverpool. Um, Liverpool have got Virgil. Um, we've got a game against Manchester City around the corner. And uh, I think we'll pick it up there in the next part so thank you very very much Liam it's been brilliant talking to you it was great talking to Gav earlier thanks again to Gav for joining us and thank you the listener really thank you because without you cop on would not exist um so thank you for listening and please share uh cop on if you can if you know anyone who might appreciate it uh thanks a lot Liam and I hope to speak to you very